Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We have with us Pastor Troy DeBruin, who's a familiar face to many of us, who was the youth pastor here for 13 years. And uh, it's hard to believe that he's been at Proclamation Church in Mount Joy for the last eight years. Time just flies. And we're so glad he's back with us this evening to bring us God's Word. So, Troy, thank you. Thank you, John. I do bring greetings from the De Bruin family. Uh, my wife Amy is here with me this evening. Been a wonderful partner in marriage and parenting and life and ministry. We're enjoying the life God has given us. Uh, a quick update on the rest of the family. Our two oldest, Elena and Molly, have an apartment together in Elizabethtown. Elena is a labor and delivery nurse at Harrisburg Hospital where she was born. Molly is the director of connections and administration at Proclamation Church, so she runs a tight ship. I think I answer to her rather than the other way around. And Luke lives with our parents, my parents. He works for Spring Garden Electric. And the youngest uh, twin daughters are in their first year of college. Lydia is a social work major at Grove City. Ella, nursing major at Messiah. And our son Anthony is where we all want to be, with Jesus. His soul made perfect in holiness. His body, being still united to Christ, does rest in the grave till the resurrection, which is indeed our great hope. And I do bring greetings from Proclamation Church as well. We now meet at Crabo Mennonite School. It's a wonderful location and facility, especially in this past year. And we're so thankful for your prayers and your support over those last eight years, which uh, have gone very quickly. I'm delighted to see the youth here this evening and a lot of familiar faces and a lot of faces I do not recognize at all, which means I just keep getting older. But I'll be reading from James chapter 4, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to James chapter 4. This evening, I'll be reading from verses 4 through 10, and if you're willing and able, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this, this evening, and as we prepare to read the Word of God, I always like to remind God's people of what you already know, that this is indeed the living and abiding Word of God. It is true forever, is a life-giving, precious gift. And so I pray that we will all receive it as such tonight. Let's hear the Word of God, starting at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will 
exalts you. This is indeed the word of God for the people of God this evening. You may be seated. Well, are you ready? Did you come tonight expecting God to speak to you through his word? He may have something to say that you did not expect. So let's pray together briefly that we might be ready. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray right now in this moment, in this place, that you would indeed, as you have done so often before, pour out your spirit upon your people. May your spirit fall on me, O God, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight and fall on all who hear the word tonight, that they would receive it with meekness for the salvation of their souls. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Are you an adulterer? It's a harsh question to begin with, isn't it? But I encourage each one of you to consider it personally. Are you an adulterer? James wrote this book to believers, but here again how he begins this passage in verse 4. You adulterous people. Beloved, you who have trusted in Jesus, you who are united to Christ, The Bible refers to you as the bride of Christ. Are you an adulterer? Have you cheated on your Savior? Are you going to bed with the world? I have both bad news and good news for you tonight. And I believe that you need to hear both. Your response to the bad news will determine how you receive the good news. As either the best news the world has ever heard, or just ho-hum. Take it or leave it, I've heard it before, no big deal. Well, the central theme of this passage, indeed the entire book, is found in verse 6. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Do you believe that? Is that your experience with your generous and gracious Savior? The more you sin, the more grace He gives Have you read the book of Hosea? He gives more grace. Well, to help us see this truth, I want to show you three texts, three important points from the text. First of all, the need for grace. And then the abundant, bountiful, lavish supply of the grace we need. That grace we need, we cannot earn. We cannot work for it. God freely gives it. And then finally, the response to grace. And my aim tonight is, to, is that you would leave with your heart drawn once again to the heart of Jesus, that his love would win your love once again, in a sense, to woo you with the grace of God. Why? So that you will be faithful to the one who is always faithful to you. So we begin with the need for grace. Verse 4, again, what does James call people in the church? You adulterous people. When we sin against God, we commit spiritual adultery. We forsake our first love. We, the bride of Christ, when we sin, we are disloyal to Christ, our bridegroom. This imagery is used throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel. 
Now, if you could ask them, or if you read the scriptures and you see, very few Israelites would set out to worship pagan gods alone. They intended to worship the Lord and pagan gods to gain the benefits of both. I wonder if we're falling prey to that lie, to that deception. Yes, I'll have Jesus on Sundays, maybe even Wednesday nights, enough to give me the hope of heaven, a good reputation, but I'll take some women, some men on the side, idols of the world, to satisfy my sinful cravings, indulge in the pleasures of the flesh. But what right-thinking husband or wife would tolerate a spouse who takes a lover to have the benefits of multiple partners? So the Lord will not tolerate Israel's lovers. James is exposing our ongoing need for the grace of God. He wants us to see things as they really are. To name sin for what it is. Not excuse it. Not justify it. Not gloss over it. Verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world. Adopting the values of the world around us, the desires of the world, of a world that hates and ignores God, becoming loyal bedfellows with a world that lives as if God does not exist. That is enmity with God. Verse 4 goes on, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That word wishes, it means to resolve or to determine. You don't drift into that kind of relationship. You make a deliberate choice. Maybe not one big deliberate choice. It's more likely a series of small ones over and over and over. So I ask you tonight, are you making those small decisions? Are you engaging in things that you know are wrong? Are you quenching the voice of the Spirit? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit? If you choose to be a friend of the world, to orient your life toward the world, to find guidance and meaning and purpose and satisfaction in the world, rather than in God, you make yourself an enemy of God. This is the bad news. The bad news we need to hear. If you identify with the world over against God, if if you are united with the world rather than with Jesus, then you have rejected Jesus. And you're an enemy of God and you justly deserve his punishment. But maybe you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, you're united to Christ and you make yourself a friend of the world. What are you doing? You are betraying your true identity. You are living as if you're an enemy of God when in truth you are his child. And beloved, that ought not to be so. You cannot be comfortable in that way of life. And if that's how you're living, maybe you feel distant from God tonight. Maybe you feel like he doesn't hear your prayers, but could it be that you're in the midst of an illicit romance with the world? A romance that is incompatible with the Holy Spirit within you. Look at verse 5. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God's people, 
God's people are indwelt by God's Spirit, and there is no way in which the living presence of the Holy Spirit within you is compatible with spiritual adultery, with sinful desires, with being friends with a world that is at war with God. The Holy Spirit would never be disloyal to God the Father or Jesus the Son. The Trinity is united in perfect eternal love, and so the Spirit in you yearns to produce that same loyalty and love in you, that loyalty that leads to worship of God alone, that loves God above all else, to be satisfied in and faithful to your Savior. So, beloved, let us now consider the abundant, bountiful, lavish supply of grace. This grace that we need, that we cannot earn or work for, God freely gives to us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. How does God respond to the spiritual adultery of his people? Have you read the book of Hosea? We'll get to that in a moment. James has just rebuked God's people for their spiritual adultery. How does that charge not end in anything but a severed relationship? Death, judgment, we might say spiritual divorce. How does it not end that way? Only because of who God is. And this is where the book of Hosea ties in. The theme of that Old Testament book is this. God loves and reclaims his faithless people. In that book, Hosea prophesies to adulterous Israel from the pulpit of his own experience. God aims in that book to give us a picture of what he himself is like. He's showing us his love, his faithfulness. So God tells Hosea, this is his calling. Hosea, you are to marry the harlot Gomer. And Hosea, you will find mirrored in your own life an accurate portrayal of the unfaithfulness of God's people. Gomer, Hosea's wife, will run after other lovers. Just as Old Testament Israel, God's covenant people, ran after other lovers, other gods, just as you and I are prone to do today. What James is addressing here in chapter 4. This spiritual adultery of God's people, it deserves judgment. But how does God respond to his people? His love keeps seeking even when spurned. And so just as Hosea buys back his wife from the slave market, so God will restore faithless Israel to the promised land. And the book of Hosea, his wife Gomer is unfaithful. Hosea pursues her. He reclaims her. It's a living illustration of how God's people are unfaithful, but God pursues us. He reclaims us. And so in Hosea, we see that our Savior Jesus is the faithful husband. Even when we, his bride, are unfaithful and we run away, how can God give more grace in the face of our abounding sin? How's that possible? Because of who he is. This is our covenant-keeping God whose steadfast love endures until you're no longer faithful. 
whose steadfast love endures forever. He gives more grace. And this grace given, it's not a thing. It's given in his Son. Grace is given from God the Father to us in the person of his eternal Son, the sinless, spotless, undefiled Lamb of God who saves his people from their sins. He gives more grace because he gave his Son. He gave his Son to die for our sins in our place because our groom was treated as if he was the unfaithful one. Beloved, James begins this section, you adulterous people. What follows should be our condemnation. But instead, what do we find? An abundant, lavish, bountiful supply of grace. Verse 6, he gives more grace. He gives grace to the humble. Verse 9, God will draw near to you. Verse 10, the Lord will exalt you you. This abundant supply of grace is not without effect. It is given to us so that you can and will turn from sin and love your Savior. So you are enabled to turn from death to abundant life, to bring you out of the pit, out of the miry bog, and set your feet on solid ground to enable you to stop grieving the Father and start loving the Son. So finally, let us consider the response to this grace. How are we to respond when the Holy Spirit shows us our sin? When the Holy Spirit magnifies for us the grace of God, there are two ways to respond. One is death and one is life. You can respond in pride or you can respond in humility. Verse 6 again, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud refuse to acknowledge their sin, their need. They look God in the face and they refuse his gift. Do you think God does not take note of your sin? That he will not hold you to account? Do you think that if you refuse God's grace and salvation, you can make your own way? That God will overlook your rejection of his plan and accept your plan in its place? That he will say, I'm sorry, you were right, I was wrong. Friend, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God opposes the proud. God is not gracious To the proud, the unrepentant, those who do not acknowledge their sin, who continue in spiritual adultery. If you continue in your sin with no repentance, there is no reason for you to hope in forgiveness no matter how many times you come to church. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do not respond with pride. There's a better way to respond to this abundant supply. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble are those who admit their sin, who can say, I was wrong. I am wrong. 
The humble are those who submit to God, those who acknowledge him as their God and their king and savior. The humble have this incredible invitation in verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Beloved, the holy God, the one you have betrayed, he invites you in. He does not turn you away when you come to him. When you draw near, he welcomes you. There are examples of this throughout the scriptures, throughout our lives. I'll share two examples, both astounding, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. Isaiah and Peter, they both have an encounter with the holy God right in front of their face. So we're familiar, most of us, with Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, he has this vision of the Lord high and lifted up, the supernatural, sinless seraphim cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook. The house was filled with smoke and Isaiah cries out, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is laid low before the holiness of God. He's humbled to the dust. He acknowledges his sin and he fears for his life. But the Lord, the Holy One, answers him in grace. He says, your guilt, and Isaiah is guilty, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. He gives more grace. And then the Lord asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, in response to the holiness and the grace of God, he cannot jump to the front of the line fast enough. Here I am. Send me. That's the response when you see God and all his glory and all his grace. The utter holiness of God with, with this abounding grace has won his heart, his life. Peter, Luke chapter 5, the master fisherman, fishes all night long, catches nothing. Jesus, the teacher, says, go a little deeper let your, net, let, let your nets down. Peter, the expert in this category, says, well, Lord, if you say so, I'll do it. And they catch so many fish, the boats are sinking. And how does Peter respond? Like Isaiah, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus does not depart. Is Peter a sinful man? Absolutely. He spoke the truth. The holy God is standing in front of him. He does not depart. He draws near. He invites Peter in. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And what does Peter do? He leaves everything and follows him. It's this utter otherness of Jesus. There is no one like him. This God in the flesh, along with his abounding grace and love, it has won Peter's heart, his life. Do you see what's key to this response that we see over and over again in the scriptures? It is seeing God for who he is and seeing ourselves for who we are and being honest about that and responding appropriately. God is holy and we are sinful. 
and the humble respond with repentance and faith, and God gives more grace. Verse 8 and 9 go on. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is using the language of repentance. He draws on the language of the Old Testament temple worship, the ceremonial washings. Cleanse your hands. Hands represent actions. Purify your hearts. Heart represents motives. And repentance includes this confession of sin. It's an acknowledgement that my hands and my hearts, my actions, my motives are filthy, defiled. They need washing. And when sin reigns and destroys, it's not a time for laughter, a time for joy, but for the mourning of repentance. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Beloved, Do we laugh at sin? Are we entertained by sin? Turn on almost any sitcom today. Listen to the laugh tracks and see if you are laughing along. Pause and think, would Jesus be laughing with us? Or more likely, is what we are right now laughing at one of the very reasons Jesus had to die. Are we being entertained by and laughing at sin? Lord, have mercy. What does that do to our hearts, to our affections, when we are entertained by sin? Does it help us take sin seriously? Jesus was crucified for sin. And do we seek to be entertained by it? Does belittling sin shape our affections to love Jesus? Or does it cultivate our friendship with the world? Does it put us in bed with the enemies of God? Beloved, do you need to repent? Do I need to repent? Repentance includes confession of sin, yes, It includes sorrow. Yes, we mourn our spiritual adultery. We have violated the covenant. We have betrayed our restored relationship with God. And so we mourn. And we aim to stop grieving the Father and start loving the Son. We mourn and we change. We turn from sin and we walk in new obedience. And we humbly cry out for mercy in our time of need. Beloved, how do you respond? During this season of Lent, are you looking to your Savior? Draw near to Him in repentance and faith. Come to Him. Return to Him. And He will not cast you out. I recently read this book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Ortland. He's a PCA ruling elder. I highly recommend it. I have two copies with me tonight. If you would read this book... I will give it to you freely. I have a copy for if you haven't graduated from high school and one for if you have graduated from high school. But I want to close by just referencing one of those chapters. In fact, it's mostly from John Bunyan's book, Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And they are talking about what Jesus says to us in John chapter 6. 
Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, never. Or some older translations say, in no wise. And if you would translate the Greek, it's whoever comes to me, I will not, not cast out. Emphasizing it as much as possible. You may have been an adulterous people. Tonight, tonight you, may have, you may have walked in as one of God's blood-bought people, but you know in your heart that there's something going on in your life that is spiritual adultery. You have the opportunity this evening to come, to return to Jesus today, and he will not cast you out. He will give more grace. But I am a great sinner, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ, but I have sinned against mercy, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ, but I have no good thing to bring with me, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. The promise was given by Jesus to answer any and all objections, and it does answer them Beloved, this is the persevering nature of the heart of our Savior. You may say, but I, but I, but I. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. I will never cast you out. May his love win your love. Remember those words we just sang. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And he washes. He gives more grace. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God, that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. We thank you that our salvation is not dependent on our works, but on the work of our Savior Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, who cried out, it is finished. We thank you that he has ascended to your right hand And he's coming again, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Father, we are eagerly waiting for our son, that blessed, glorious hope. And so may you send your son once again, that he would come quickly for us. We pray in his name. Amen.